Hey friends, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. How's your new year going? Hope it's going great. Hope it's going wonderfully. Um, my wife and I are on different ends of the spectrum when it comes to the month of January every year. Amy does not like January. Um, Amy is like comfort zone queen. She loves things that make sense to her. She loves a calm. She loves warmth. She loves Christmas. And so um, she is the happiest person in the world between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But she'll tell you very quickly, she does not like New Year's. She doesn't like January. She's not into fresh starts and new things and wonderful open doors of great new beginnings and stuff like that. That is her husband. That is me. I uh, I enjoy Christmas too, but man, I am always happy when a new year kicks off. There's just something about turning the calendar that um, just kind of opens up my, my spirit to, oh man, what's God going to do? And that's just kind of the way I've lived for a long time. And uh, Amy has learned to tolerate my zeal in January. And um <laughs> We've been doing this a while, 26 years together. It's our 26th uh, Christmas and New Year together as husband and wife. And uh, she's not trying to change me, and I'm not trying to change her. And uh, by the way, quick free marriage advice, your job from God is not to change your spouse. Your job from God is not to change your spouse. So uh, Happy New Year. There's your nugget for the day. Um, There's a lot of good stuff that is going on in the kingdom right now. Um, there's also some terrible stuff that's happening in the world right now. Get used to that. Get used to God doing great, amazing, epic things against the backdrop of a cultural um, divide and a cultural trending that grows more and more evil. The culture is evil. The world system is evil. The prince of the power of the air is puppeteering a lot of people, and he works evil. And most of the people in the culture uh, in which we live are evil people. I know you don't like that. Some of you are like, hey, man, that's judgmental. No, the Bible says before we come to God, we are at enmity with him, that we are enemies of God, that we're alienated from God by wicked works. And most people are not born again. Most people do not have the Holy Spirit living within them. And so the compound um, effect of that is that we live in a very, very evil culture. One of the evils that has um, run amok in America, really globally, but in America is the unbridled sexual thirst that most people have come into agreement with in this nation. And unfortunately, many Christians have come into agreement with and no longer wage war against um, the spirit of lust, the appetites in our bodies for sexual gratification, which, by the way, are pure and God-given. There's nothing wrong with enjoying sex in the context of a heterosexual marriage. Matter of fact, it's not only not wrong, it's good and it's delightful and it's pleasing to the Lord. And that's weird for some of you, but God likes it when husbands and wives make love and they come into that union of one flesh. 
What God doesn't like is the distortion of that sexual drive being gratified in countless ways. The perversion of that sexual drive, meaning whatever brings me to climax, it must be good because it feels great. Therefore, if it's heterosexual with somebody I'm not married to, that's fine. It feels good. If it's homosexual, that's fine. It feels good. Now we're entering into the world where uh, people, there are strong demonic movements to legitimize pedophilia. That as long as the child is not violently attacked and the child sees it as love, there is aggressive, even legislation in some places, to dilute the criminality of um, pedophilia. And uh, there was somebody somewhere in the news late last year that was trying to legitimize bestiality. Um, so I'm not here to tell you anything you don't know. We have an unbridled lust problem in America. And um, sadly, Christians have just come into agreement with it in a lot of ways. Some come into agreement by saying, yeah, you're not going to change anything. This is just the way people are. We just got to accept it. We got to kind of manage it. And we got to reframe some terms, some definitions, some theology. And we just got to make room that this is a part of the culture. So let's redefine what scripture says. And let's just let everybody do their thing. And by the way, just ask Jesus into your heart. Because although we all do bad, we all sin. Um, we can't point out certain sins and not point out others. By the way, I agree with that. But that's being used as a legitimizing tactic to say that, hey, we just need to tolerate all forms of sexual sin. And um, the other way that Christians are kind of coming into agreement with it is they're partaking in it. Yep. I mean, the massive statistics about Americans and especially even like porn, um, when when studies are done on divorces in America, um, 56% of all those that are divorced in America uh, the records show that at least one party has some form of obsessive interest in pornographic websites. So it's destroying marriages. Um, almost half the families in America, house, half the households in America, I think it's like 47%, report that pornography is a problem within their home. And porn, the viewing of porn, increases the rate of infidelity by 300% versus those who do not look at porn. So if you're looking at porn and you're married, you are 300% more likely to step out um, with another person. You're already committing adultery. You just aren't doing it with a person. Can I be crass here? You're doing it with your hand and you're watching pornography. And um, the Lord says that's adultery. It's adultery of the heart and you're 300% more likely to end up committing adultery with a person. Um, here's something that's staggering. By the way, this is all Barna research, but 70% of youth pastors, they're reporting that they have at least one teen come for them um, for help dealing with pornography uh, annually. 70%. That's not even surprising to me. Um, what is surprising to me is, and this is staggering to me, Um. 68% of church-going men report regular pornography viewing. 68%. And 50% of pastors. I'm, I'm stunned by that. I shouldn't be, but I'm stunned. 
And here's something for those of us that are older, Christians between 18 and 24 years old, um, 76% actively search for porn on a regular basis. So if you've got four young people, male and female, 18 to 24 years old, if you've got four of them standing before you, three are regularly actively searching for porn on the internet. Is it a male problem only? Not according to the stats. Um, one out of every three women age 25 and under um, search for pornography at least once a month. It used to be a male problem. It's not. It is an epidemic problem in our culture. Now, I'm not here to give you just a bunch of meh, meh, meh. I mean, this stuff is just terrible. Shouldn't shock us. Um, it should grieve us, but we can't pretend to be surprised by it anymore. But on the one of the last prayer meetings, I think it was like our first prayer meeting in December, one of the last prayer meetings that we held on Tuesday night at Antioch Outpost. We do that every Tuesday from, we open up the doors at 4 p.m. and we, we just welcome people to come for four hours, 4 to 8 p.m. to pray. We do prophetic ministry. Uh, we worship. We take communion. We seek the Lord. We have a community fast every Tuesday and uh, we just press in uh, to the Lord on behalf of us, ourselves as individuals, our families, our church, and our community, and then globally, whatever the Lord's talking about. And so one of the last prayer meetings that we had um, in in De- December, I think it was the first one in December, it doesn't really matter, but um, I was walking around, we've probably been in the prayer room three hours, maybe two hours, and I just started feeling the burden of the Lord that even specifically for our church family, that we were not remaining vigilant about guarding our hearts from even the seeds of any form of sexual immorality. And, uh, man, it, nobody was praying into it. The, The vibe was very different, but I just started getting kind of overcome where I was sitting in the prayer room and, Eventually, I knew the Lord was just wanting me to break some stuff off of um, whoever might be in the room. So I just went into some intercession, but this was the thought that drove it. What might God do in a church that was free from sexual immorality? A prophetic guy named John had prayed earlier on the mic. John's in his mid to late 70s, and he had prayed earlier um, just prophesying going in out of prophecy and prayer about why we weren't seeing the breakthrough that we know we can see as a church and as the body of Christ at large. And maybe 30 minutes after that prayer, I was on the mic saying, God, what might happen if this church had no sexual compromise? And immediately some of y'all think, Jeff, that's impossible. Well, that's the problem. Nobody thinks it's possible. Like, do you look at porn? Are you cheating on your spouse? Do you have fantasies about um, somebody other than your spouse? Or if you're single, fantasies about somebody you're not married with, sexual fantasies? Well, if your answer is no, then it's possible for everybody that's in Christ to be able to be immune from that. And so the thought was gripping me, what might God do if there was sexual purity from the pulpit 
to the first-time visitor, every age group, teenagers, adults, single, married, younger, and older. And so we just began to pray into that. And you could hear the groanings in the, in the prayer room as I prayed for maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes on this issue and just breaking off this deceptive spirit that tells us we're all bound to this, that the church is never going to be free, never going to be pure, that a church can't be free and pure, that a person, a Christian can't be free and pure. That's all lies. And because we don't even consider it as a possibility anymore, we have a very low threshold or a low standard for our own lives. Like we let stuff pass before our eyes and we don't even blush anymore. And, you know, by the grace of God, we are authorized, empowered, and expected to walk in a moral purity. And if your church, your home church, just dealt with that one sin on a radically comprehensive, repentant level, what might be happening at your church? How do we know that there isn't massive healings, massive outpourings, massive breakthrough, massive deliverance, mass salvations, mass funding for mission projects in advance of the gospel. How do we know that it's not all pooling up behind the wall of some dam that is, it is not allowing. And that dam is the wall of sexual immorality. And so what if, like, what if we were all free and we can be all of us? What if everybody in your church got free from even the slightest traces or tolerances of sexual thoughts or activities that are classified in Scripture as sin. Is that even God's expectation? Yeah. <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter 4 is just a simple couple of verses to go to. It removes all doubt. So this is God's will for me. This is God's will for you. This is God's will for all of us as Christians. What is it? First Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So it is God's will that we are sanctified. That means we are intentionally setting our lives, our bodies, our minds apart for him. We are his. But what is he talking about specifically? This is the will of God, your sanctification. It goes on to say that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then verse four says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like those who do not know God. I mean, it, you'd have to hire 12 seminary professors in some liberal seminary to confuse you about what this means. It's so plain. So let me read it again. Here's God's, I'm going to paraphrase it. It's first Thessalonians four verses three, four and five. This is God's will for you. Mavericks and misfits listener. It is that you are sanctified as you abstain from all sexual immorality, that you know how to control your own body with holiness and honor instead of being passionate with lust like those who don't know God. So when the Bible reveals something like that, inherent in a command or a revelation like that, this is decreeing, here's God's will for you. People are like, I, I can't figure out the will of God for my life. We'll start right here. 
You take ownership and authority over your God-given sexual appetites. You get radical and extreme about what you allow to feed those appetites. You also get joyfully, humbly militant. Yes, those three can go together about how you lawfully, righteously give expression to your sexual appetites. This is going to be hard for some of you to hear, but it is undebatable in scripture that the only lawful, the only God-blessed outlet for sexual gratification is between a husband and a wife in marriage, not merely a man and a woman. People are like, it's got to be heterosexual. No, it's got to be marital. It's got to be marital. And so this touches on everything, man. Clearly, sex with children is not only illegal, it's an abomination before God. Um, homosexual activity is always a sin. And I appreciate the fact that the new teachings and even some embracing by well-known mainstream pastors is that, no, we need to come, we've come to a fuller understanding that this is just the way people are created and they can be in a homosexual monogamous, monogamous relationship. And God is honored by that. You're a liar. You're deceived. You have believed the lie of the devil. Um, you've made that up. You've rewritten the word in order to accommodate behaviors that God says are sinful. While we can be very compassionate, we must be. We must help people that have SSA, same-sex attraction. We need to walk alongside of them. Um, we, we also must love them enough to tell them that they must repent. And if it means they are celibate the rest of their lives because they simply aren't attracted to the opposite sex, then they'll be celibate. I'm not going to tell you that same-sex attraction is a sin. I will say that it is a deep wound somewhere. It may be physical. It may be psychological. It could be environmental. But we all have impulses that we have to battle at higher levels. Um, the fact is, is that we can't say, because I want this naturally, therefore I'm entitled to gratify that natural desire. No, you may be same-sex attracted, but your call is to crucify yourself. It is to, not physically, it is to take up your cross, deny yourself. That's what Jesus said being a disciple is. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him daily. So we actually are called to deny these longings that are outside of the will of God. Same thing with unmarried heterosexual. Like if you're heterosexual, even if you got a boyfriend or a girlfriend or even a fiance, and you're sleeping with them, you're guilty. Look, I'm just telling you because I love you. I'm not condemning you. You need to be told. I don't care if it feels right. I don't care if it feels like love. It probably does a lot of the times. It definitely, sex feels good. And sometimes you can get that feeling and you say, this must be good. If it feels so good, how could it be wrong? But if you're not married to that person, then you're in sexual sin. And then, man, we get down to the, you know, the dilemma of pornography and masturbation and, hey, I'm not sleeping with anybody, but I'm chronically masturbating. Is that sin? Well, let me just ask you this. Ugh. Is it possible to masturbate without having sexually impure thoughts? No. And can we obey the commandment in Col Colossians? 
How do, how do we fit masturbation into the command, do all things under the glory of God? Whatever you do, do it heartily as under the Lord. Awkward topics for sure. But guys, listen, this is what I'm asking. The question is, what if our churches were free of pornography? What if our churches were free of fantasy, sexual, unlawful, ungodly fantasy? What if our churches were free from masturbation? What if our f- uh, churches were f- free from from uh, heterosexual promiscuity, even between girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance? What if our churches were free from he- homosexual um, act- activity? Like we don't even think about it anymore because we just come to say that's that's the way it is. Except that the First Thessalonians chapter four said, "Here's God's will for every single one of His children." that we ourselves learn how to possess our bodies in honor. Like you dishonor your body when you enter into sexual sin. You're dishonoring your body. It says learn how to control your body. So what's in control of your life? Your genitals or your God? What's in control of your body? Your passion for orgasm? or your passion to be righteous before the Lord. What's in control of you? And I think that some people just assume that, well, these are just natural desires. But I will say that most most habitual, I'll just say all of it, all habitual sexual sin has some form of demonic domination. It's a stronghold. It's a binding. You're bound. And many people have to go through deliverance. Um, if this helps you at all, I'll risk this. So I didn't get saved till I was 24 years old. And I lived from adolescence. Really, the first time I looked at pornography, I was nine, eight or nine. And pornography was a normal part of my life from age nine, I'll just say, especially during teen years, age 12 to age 24. And the power of God, when I got saved, delivered me. But the temptation was still there to be dealt with. The activity stopped. But the temptation and the I trained my flesh for these things for over a decade. I was saved. I had new appetites. I had new desires. I wanted to please the Lord. I was no longer going to engage in sexual sin. But that doesn't mean the temptation was removed. So if you're waiting for the temptation to be removed, you have to um, just go ahead and make up your mind that you're probably going to be in and out of the sin. You have to wage war against it. Those that are, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's Paul talking to the church in, churches in Galatia. If you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And so you start right there. It's like, oh, my flesh still desires thing, but because I'm things that are unlawful, but because I'm walking in the spirit, I'm not going to fulfill those desires. And as we no longer come into agreement with the desires for unlawful sexual gratification, then those desires get starved. If you feed them, they grow. If you starve them, they die. And so I got militant and, um, you know, I remember when Amy and I got married in 1997, about a month after we got married, the movie Titanic came out. And I didn't know any better, man. I'm, you know, brand new husband. Um, and so I took Amy to go see Titanic. Well, of course, there's a nude scene in it. My wife was 22 years old and never seen 
a nude body on film. And guess who the first person to introduce her to that was? Her new husband. I was so grieved. And we just made up our minds at that moment. I apologized to her. I've probably apologized multiple times over the years for that because it was just such a terrible way of leading my, my family, my, my wife at that time. And so we've just made up our minds, man. We, when we watch TV, we don't allow anything to pass before our eyes and remain there that is unholy. And that's hard to do. So we end up watching a lot of baseball, football, basketball, or cooking shows. Because most of TV, you're going to see sexual stuff on it. And I'm going to tell you something. This is going to make me sound like a crotchety old man, but I'm winning the war on this. So if you're not winning the war, maybe listen, listen to the crotchety old man. I, I'm not going to watch anything that has cleavage, bathing suits, bikinis. I'm not going to watch a couple make out in a show, a movie, a website. I'm not going to watch anything that might seek to arouse a passion in me that Jesus died to set me free from. And I'm not, I'm, listen guys, I'm just maybe, I don't know, maybe some people that's not an issue for, but I want to possess my eyeballs in honor to the Lord. If I can't watch it with Jesus, then I can't watch it. If Jesus wouldn't say amen to it, then why am I, as the servant to the master, as the son to the father, why am I saying, yeah, this is fine? And so when you feed it tiny little bites like that, maybe it's not pornography, but it's sensual. And guys, this is where the war, I believe, is won or lost. And gentlemen, brothers, you're fooling yourself Ladies, hear this. There's no such thing as a man who can see a woman in a tight, low-cut um, outfit, as elegant and beautiful as it might be. Um, there's not a man in the world that can look at that and say, what a beautiful dress. Oh, what a lovely dress. I love the fabric. Oh, I love the lines. Not a straight man. There's not a straight man that can do that. The man is looking at the woman's body. And so when, when something passes before our eyes as Christian men, we don't want to come into any form of agreement with saying that woman's body is for me to look at and think about. I tell my sisters in Christ when I can, it's like, I know it's not your fault that men struggle with this, but how you carry yourself, what you wear, if you're putting your figure on display, if you want people to see your cleavage and uh, you want them to see your backside and you want them to see how good a shape you're in, you're part of the problem. I love you. Maybe nobody's ever told you this, but now you're accountable. Like you need to recognize that we need to be in this thing together. And guys, what I will tell you is um, if you haven't learned to look away, um, you should pursue that with the Lord because he'll empower you to where you actually don't have to fight to look away. Your instincts get retrained. You're not responsible for what comes in front of you, but you're responsible for what you do from that very moment on. And your instincts will be retrained by Holy Spirit. Hey, we're actually, that's not for you. She's not, she doesn't belong to you. You don't belong to her. And so we get into this dilemma where we're, we're just asking ourselves, 
Um, what's the right response? How much is too radical? How much is, you know, over the top legalism? And I'm going to let you just kind of pursue the Lord on that. Here's, here's what I'm saying. What if our churches were free? What if men and women were free? What if women who are dissatisfied with their husbands didn't fantasize about what it would be like to be married to this man who has this money, who has this leadership instinct, who has this spirituality, and you come into agreement with it, you'd be happier with some other man. You know, that's not sexual, physical adultery, but it probably is emotional adultery. And we just got to get like crazy militant on this stuff. So I'll just leave you with this. As we approach the end of the age, is it going to be easier or harder to stay free from sexual sin? The obvious answer is it's going to be harder outwardly. The culture is not going to assist you in this. So I'll, I'll ask you this. As we get closer to the end of the age, do you think it's more important or less important that we are uh, operating in honor and purity sexually before Jesus comes? I would just say it's more important. It's always important to obey, but we're just living in this moment and moving towards, you know, harder moments of temptation and overt sinfulness in the culture. So it's more important now than it ever has been before that you get this right. Is it more urgent or less urgent that you develop some accountability and some parameters about what you do with your eyes and what you do with your body? I think it's more important now than ever. And because we don't talk about it, I mean, how, when's the last time you heard a, a preacher, a podcast teacher, and say masturbation? You know, I mean, just nobody talks about this stuff. But I'm, I'm wondering that, you know, are our churches cut off from high levels of breakthrough from the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of the Son of God? Are we, have we cut ourselves off because we're, we're, tolerating mixture in our own lives and in our churches. So I don't know, maybe, maybe five, maybe 10, maybe a hundred of you. will just consider what I'm saying. I'm not mad. I don't even know who's listening. I'm just saying the stats don't lie. The lack of power in churches got to be attributed to something. Uh, we got plenty of sermons, you know, it's not our sermons. It's there's a lack of power. And my guess is that the, the fly in the ointment has, has spoiled the perfume. And it's time for us to repent. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray for you as I close today. I appreciate the fact that you're mature enough to listen to this, consider it. I'm free to get feedback from you. I mean, I'm happy to. You can email me at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. I won't out you. Um, but if you've got legitimate questions about this, Hey, man, if you're in bondage to it, you need to go through deliverance, like straight up Pentecostal, Holy Spirit, break the devil's back off of your life, deliverance. Most of the stuff doesn't get broken off of you by ongoing counseling. That can be a part of it, but you've come into some level of agreement and the stronghold has been formed in your life and it's a demonic stronghold. Your flesh has been so trained that it is now conditioned to operate with deception and demonic power to tell you you are bound. You will always be a slave to this stuff. It's not true. It's not true. Guys, listen, I do not look at pornography. I told you I was bound to that stuff 
from age probably 10 to 24. It's not a part of my life. I don't even think about it. Why? Not because I'm super spiritual, but because I recognize the potential to ruin my life like so many others have is always there. So I made up my mind. And then, you know, to make sure that there is never a stronghold, I keep my heart clean. I talk to my brothers about this. I don't let anything linger before my eyes. I look away. Forgive me if that's insulting or makes me seem weak to you, but I don't want to sin against God or my wife or the people of God by just saying that's what boys do. Boys will be boys. No, the redeemed will be redeemed. The saved will be saved. The follower of Jesus will follow Jesus. We're not looking for the lowest common denominator to say that's good enough because that's where everybody else is at. We're radically pursuing righteousness to possess our vessel in honor and learning how to control our own body in holiness so that we're not lusting in the passion of those that do not know God. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5. And so let's just press in together. And I bless you in the name of Jesus to be free from condemnation, but to be full of conviction. I bless you in the name of Jesus to not think you're immune to this. I bless you in the name of Jesus to recognize it's a problem in your church. I bless you in the name of Jesus to be more concerned with your own heart right now, your own practices, your own behaviors than you are anybody else's. I bless you in the name of Jesus with the faith to truly believe that you can be 100% free from all forms of sexual immorality. I bless you in the name of Jesus if you're married to enjoy the marriage bed, to go after it, to go at it, to enjoy your spouse and let him or her enjoy you. The marriage bed is undefiled according to the author of Hebrews. I bless you in the name of Jesus to wage war with me in prayer that we would be pure and clean as the people of God. And Father, I ask you to take these teachings, these words, these challenges, these truths that meet us in a very difficult place where we live in America and help your church. God, help us. God, I just hear you saying, beware you that think you stand lest you fall. So, Lord, we are sobered by this, and we need a baptism of holiness and fire. Lord, help our prayers where we long for your healings. We long for your power. We long for prophetic utterances. We long for salvations. Help us to long just as much to be free from anything that would prevent those things from happening. So, God, with humbled hearts and sober hearts, We entrust these things to you and we ask you to bless us as we pursue you and righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. We're happy you were able to tune in today. You can help us reach more people by rating and reviewing Mavericks and Misfits on whatever platform you use to listen to today's podcast. Connect with Jeff on his personal and ministry social media links by visiting transformingtruth.org. Also, feel free to email Jeff with comments or questions at Jeff at maverickmisfit.com. I'll say it again, Jeff at maverickmisfit.com. We will talk to you again next week.